1: Welcome back to Mama Mystery. I am your host, Kelly. And I am your co-host, Austin. And before we get started on today's episode, I want to shout out our newest Patreons. So if you don't already know, our Patreon um, is an exclusive membership where you get um, early access to all of our episodes. You get stickers every month. You get one bonus episode per month. Um,
0: you get a note from Kelly that is autographed by the Kelly. This is pretty cool. Unfortunately, we'll have my autograph on it. If you stay on for long enough, maybe we'll consider that.
1: Oh, geez. Anyway, I want to shout out our newest ones. So are you ready, Austin? Yeah, normally
0: I do it individual, but listen, this but is the a coolest lot. problem to have. So I'm just going to say woohoo at the end. Go ahead.
1: There's a lot. So we're going to go real fast. Bree Young, Holly Praisewater, Shelby Robinson, Amy Halford, Brooke Sanders, Christine Podlucky. I love that name, Podlucky. That's a cool name. Anyway, Taylor Mayhew, Amanda, Morgan Nagel, Brianna Johnson, Amanda Schofield, Sydney Goss, Goss? probably Goss, JC Urich, Brianna Bloomer, Kayla Foley, Rose Lane, Bianca Rodriguez, Brittany Luke, Christine Floria, Amanda Hanelin, so awesome. Marley Thornton, Julia, and Casey Washington. Woo! That was awesome. That was so cool. I knew a
0: few of the names, which is me awesome. Too. So thank you. Yes. And then it's super cool whenever you start reading names that I have no idea who they are. One I of them's from Ireland.
1: People. That's dope. I think I could do a good Ireland accent. <laughs> You'll have to tell me, Amy, if that, if that passed. <laughs> Probably not. All right. Anyway, today's episode is about Randy Kraft, otherwise known as the scorecard killer. And it was recommended by Luann. Blalock, Blalock, I'm so sorry, I'm probably butchering that, Blalock, Blaylock? Blaylock. Blalock, B-L-A-L-O-C-K, Blalock, Blalock, um, super sorry, Luann, because I probably just butchered that, but anyway, have you ever heard of this guy? sport? Me neither, Seriously? are you surprised by that? Even you? Even me, I had never heard of him. That does surprise me. And this guy is a big deal, I'm surprised I haven't heard of him. Let's hear about him. All right. Well, Randy Stephen Kraft was born in Long Beach, California on March 19th of 1945 to parents Opal and Harold Kraft. Growing up, he had three sisters and his parents both worked. His dad was a production worker and his mother was a sewing machine operator. Their father, Harold, often worked long hours to provide for their family and he was gone quite a bit. Opal also worked hard, sometimes having more than one job at a time just to supplement Harold's income, but she always made a point to be present with her kids and try to fill the void of their dad not being around. Even if they couldn't count on their dad to be present, they still had their mom, and she was a very doting mother. She was also involved in the PTA at the kids' school. Um, she was one of the, like, the Boy Scout moms. She'd bring brownies to Boy Scouts, Um, And at school, Randy really excelled as a student. He was also placed in the school's gifted program, so he was super smart. They lived modestly in a home, a small home near a beach, and they were very involved in their church, which was Westminster First Presbyterian Church. And Opal eventually became the chairman of the deacons committee there. So she's super busy, super involved. So when Randy got into high school, he became deeply engrossed in politics, with big aspirations to become a U.S. senator someday. He and two of his close friends even founded a club at school called the Westminster World Affairs Club. By the time, don't
0: take us down the same bullshit avenue as the last episode.
1: <laughs> I'm not. Where it was
0: all this made up uh, theory of life and.
1: No, 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 no. This is This is actually quite. The opposite. Okay. Yeah. Um, But no, yeah, they founded the Westminster World Affairs Club. I kind of laughed because I was just thinking man, in high school. I was not a part of any world affairs club. You couldn't even ask me what was going on in the world. I had no idea. I was an idiot. I just wanted to leave school. Yeah. You wanted to talk to girls and not be at school. I wanted to go to Sonic. (laughs) So by the time Randy got into high school, he knew he was different. He knew he was exceptionally smart and gifted but he also knew that he was gay. He didn't come out and say that though. Instead, he tried to hide it by dating girls in his class, but a lot of his classmates and teachers were already suspecting that he was gay. And we have to remember, this is the early sixties where support for the LGBT community was still pretty small and marginalized. So he graduated from high school in 1963 and enrolled in Claremont Men's College, where he studied economics. He would often attend rallies in support of the Vietnam War, Um, and he actually eventually switched his his political beliefs to be more liberal than conservative, and even got his first real boyfriend and openly dated this man. So in 1964, he started working as a bartender at a gay bar called Garden Grove. He continued to become more and more comfortable with his sexuality. He even brought some of his male friends home to meet his family, hoping hoping that they would probably just kind of read between the lines and see what was going on. But they never seemed to catch on to the fact that these guys were more than just friends. And he never actually came out and said it at the time. But around this time, he started traveling to Laguna Beach, and he was hooking up with gay hustlers. But this actually came around to bite him in the ass when in 1966, he propositioned an undercover cop and was ultimately char- charged with lewd content. Oh my gosh, conduct, excuse me. But those charges were later dropped. Proposition,
0: like what did he try to do with
1: him? Like tried to be like, hey, you want to go behind the alley and... That's illegal? Well, it's lewd and lascivious, lascivious. How do you say that? Conduct, it's, it's just not... I guess when you're out in public, you can't be acting like that. I mean, I don't know the details of what happened. I'm just assuming he probably was like, hey, let me go S your D behind the A. <laughs> <laughs> what well, was the A. Allie. <laughs> <laughs> you're
0: such what a moron. Go ahead.
1: You can't be so mean to me on a recording, Austin.
0: (laughs) I love you a lot.
1: All right. So as his college years waned, he leaned harder into the Democratic Party, eventually switching to that side completely. He went from this staunch Republican to a very liberal Democrat. While he was in college. And by this time, he was also drinking a lot. He started taking drugs and attending parties where they would just stay up all night gambling. He cared less and less about his schoolwork. And that reflected in his grades when he failed to graduate on time because he had to repeat an econometrics class. I don't know if I said that right. But eight months after he was supposed to graduate, he finally completed his credits and earned a BA in economics. So shortly after graduating from college, he surprisingly joined the U.S. Air Force. And the reason I say surprising is because he's just kind of on this roller coaster where one second he's taking life really seriously, the next he's not. And to join the U.S. Air Force is a big commitment. It's a huge commitment. And when you're sent to basic training, it's not a walk in the park. So anyway, he goes to basic training in Texas before being stationed at Edwards Air Force Base in Southern California, and he quickly rose to the rank of airman first class and supervisor. I feel like this just goes to show that like he had such potential to do great things because when he set his mind to it, he was very determined. That same year, he rose to airman first class. He finally came out to his family. And while his mom was disapproving but calm, she tried to be understanding and whatever. His dad flew into an absolute rage. And this really affected their relationship. And it was at this point that he started distancing himself from his family. Ever well, finding out that he was gay? Yes. He admitted to his family he was gay, his dad was not having it. So then on July 26th of 1969, he says he was discharged from the Air Force after his supervisors learned of his homosexuality. And he tried to fight it. They said it was for medical reasons and they refused to change their decision. So he moved back in with his parents and started working again as a forklift operator and a bartender on the side. So after his failed stint in the Air Force, he decided to choose a new career path, and he went back to school in 1971 to study education at Long Beach State University. It was there that he met a man four years his junior named Jeff Graves, who was also studying education, and they started dating. They ended up moving in together and dating for the next four years. According to Randy, Jeff was the one who introduced Randy to threesomes and to the BDSM lifestyle and taking drugs to enhance their sexual experiences.
0: So a really good influence.
1: <clears throat> right. But Randy says that he was never really into that, that he didn't like bringing other people into the bedroom and just wanted Jeff all to himself. So needless to say, their relationship eventually started falling apart a bit and they fought all the time before finally breaking up in 1975. But unbeknownst to Jeff, during their whole relationship, Mr. Monogamous Randy was keeping a huge secret. By January of 1975, a total of 14 men had been found across four separate counties over the span of three years, and investigators assumed that they were all linked to the same killer, a killer who was methodical organized and above average intelligence, and who may have had a military background since at least two of the victims had tissue in their nostrils, which was apparently a technique often used to prevent purging after death. But at this time, there were no suspects until. On March 29th of 1975, Randy was out cruising along in his black and white Ford Mustang when he came upon a long beach parking lot where he noticed some adolescents hanging out and drinking. He pulled in and managed to lure two of the boys from this group into the Mustang. Keith Crotwell and Kent may were both about 18 years old. They get into the car and they're driving around and Randy feeds them beer and Valium. Then Randy goes back to the parking lot where he picked them up, parks the car and pushes Kent may who is passed out at this point, Onto the pavement. Meanwhile, his friends could see their friend, Keith Crotwell, is slumped over on Randy's shoulder as the driver just takes off. Kent is unharmed but unconscious, so they take care of him. But then days go by, and Keith never returned or got back in touch with any of his friends. May 8th, more than a month later, his skull was found on a jetty near a nearby marina. What's a jetty? It's like a, a protrusion of land that goes out into water. Like a peninsula? Kind of, but not quite. But similar, I guess. Okay. So the friends from that night were on a mission to figure out who this guy was that was driving the black and white Mustang. So they literally searched their neighborhood and found that car less than a mile from their own home. So they write down the license plate number and gave that information to police, and it was registered to Randy Kraft. So police bring him in for questioning, and he admits that he did meet the boys that night, that they drove around drinking beer and taking Valium, but that after he dropped Kent off in the parking lot, he drove around with Keith until his car got stuck on an embankment. So he says he left Keith in the car so he could go call for a tow truck, but by the time he got back to his car, Kent was gone. Or I'm sorry, Keith was gone. Even though the police were leery of his story, they weren't able to charge him with anything because at this point, Only his skull was found, and the coroner assumed that he died from accidental drowning. But at least, at the very least, at this point, he's on their radar, right? Mm -hmm. So that December, Randy abducted a 22-year-old man named Mark Hall in San Juan Capistrano. He drove this guy to a remote canyon, tied him to a tree, and mutilated him while he was still alive. So Austin... You might actually want to leave the room while I detail what he did, because I just know how you are. I know this is probably going to really bother you. And if you're not interested either, as a listener, hit that skip ahead button for 15 seconds, because what I'm about to describe is pretty awful.
0: Yeah, I'm out on the crazy shit. Go ahead.
1: Okay. So this was described as Randy's worst killing. He tied him to a tree, burnt his chest, scrotum, nose, cheeks, and destroyed his Hold eyes.
0: Hold on, plug my ears and I can still hear your shit.
1: <laughs> God All right, sorry guys. He also destroyed his eyes with the cigarette lighter from his car. Then he cut off his genitals and shoved them up his rectum. He also made numerous incisions on his legs with a broken bottle before finally choking him to death by shoving leaves and debris down his throat, ultimately suffocating him to death.
0: I'm a grown-ass man, but I don't enjoy anything like that. Yeah,
1: so we're back. All right. In 1976, he met another man named Jeff. Another Jeff. (laughs) This time, 12 years his junior. So Jeff was working for a baker at the time, and the pair really hit it off, moving in together in the Laguna Hills. They also dabbled in threesome play as well, sometimes just going out and picking up hitchhikers together. So we see this disconnect here, because in his last relationship, Randy said he was the one who wanted to end the threesomes, but now he brags that he introduced Jeff to this whole gay bar scene and threesomes and wild activities, right? So Randy starts working for a computer company and he ended up traveling a lot for work, namely Oregon, Colorado. He's traveling a lot. He's gone a lot and it really started to take a toll on their relationship. So in 1982, the couple split up. But during their relationship, Randy's killings seemed to correlate with the status of his relationship with Jeff. When things were good, the killings weren't so severe or frequent, but when the killing or when the relationship was bad, the killings were much more brutal and frequent. So every time Randy killed, he added to this note that he was keeping, and that's why he's called the scorecard killer because oh, it was freak. like his scorecard. So 61 names filled this list, Austin. And the list was simple. It only included the nicknames that he gave his victims. And I won't go through every name because some of the entries on the list either have not been tied to a victim, meaning they've disappeared and never been found, or they're linked to a John Doe, someone who was found but not identified, and they assume that he was responsible for it. But here are just some examples from the list so you get an idea of how he did this, right? So at the top of the list, his first kill was the word stable, who police believed to be victim Wayne Duquette, a bartender at a gay bar named The Stable. And of course, Wayne disappeared after a shift from The Stable, and he was eventually found. And so it was all tied together that this is who that's referring to, right? Next on the list was EDM. And which stood for Edward Daniel Moore, a 20-year-old Marine who was subsequently found beside the freeway after being pushed out of a moving vehicle with his wrists and ankles bound, among other sinister injuries that I won't mention. Twiggy, you might want to cover your ears for this one too. Twiggy was a 19-year-old James Dale Reeves who was found partially nude, but with a tree branch protruding from his rectum. Parking lot, referred to the victim we discussed earlier, Keith Crotwell, who was abducted from the parking lot. Marine drunk overnight shorts was Donnie Harold Crissell, who was a Marine from Tustin Base and was found only in his shorts. So this is just an example of kind of how he's you know keeping track of the people he killed.
0: 61 names.
1: 61 were on the list. Randy was finally caught when on May 14th of 1983... At 1.10 in the morning, two California Highway Patrol officers started following a Toyota Celica driving erratically on Interstate 5. They assumed the driver was under the influence, so they pulled him over. When the driver pulled over and opened the car door, he poured a beer out onto the pavement. The driver did. So the officer approached the vehicle, and the driver in the front seat was none other than Randy Kraft, He was sitting there with his pants undone and the officer asked him to exit the vehicle and perform a sobriety test, which he failed. So Randy was arrested. The other officer approached the other side of the vehicle, peering into the windows with his handheld flashlight and noticed a man slumped over in the passenger seat, partially covered by a jacket. Surrounding the man were empty bottles of moosehead beer and an open prescription bottle of lorazepam with pills sprinkled around him. The officers reached in and tried to wake the man, but the man was cold, so he checks for a pulse and realizes that this man is dead. When he lifts the jacket from his body, the officer notices that the man's genitals are exposed, and he has a ligature mark around his neck, and his wrists were bound with a shoelace. So when investigators examined his vehicle, they found blood on the back seat, but the victim was not bleeding. The blood was tested and it was determined to be human blood, indicating that he's had more than just one victim in the back of that car. Under the carpet of the car, police found an envelope with more than 50 photos of men in pornographic poses, appearing to either be dead or asleep, but there's no way of knowing when it's just a picture. And in the trunk is where they found his list of 61 coded names. So once they searched his home, they found even more damning evidence, including personal belongings from each of his victims. He was ultimately charged with the murders of 16 people, which that one really confuses me. I had to double check multiple times that I was reading it correctly. He was only charged with 16 counts of murder, but the trial lasted 13 months, which was the most expensive trial to date in orange County history. He was ultimately found guilty and sentenced to death, and he currently sits on death row in San Quentin. To this day, he denies having responsibility in the murders, and his defense was that all the evidence was just circumstantial. There's none of his DNA on any of those can bodies. How take can you ownership
0: of anything?
1: Not yet. one single thing. Not even the, the list that so clearly correlates to all these men that were found. Some suspect that he didn't do this by himself, that he had an accomplice to commit these crimes, because a lot of his victims were thrown from moving vehicles, which would really impair your ability to drive if you're trying to push a dead body out of the car. And I also read that one that was left on the beach, maybe even more, but that there were multiple sets of footprints found. But I guess you could explain that by him maybe taking multiple trips to dump stuff. stuff I mean, I don't know. Yeah others believe that this list is probably way longer than 61 people and that he probably only listed his most memorable murders.
0: Did he say anything about the list when he asked about it?
1: Not that I know of. Um he still just denies having any responsibility in any of these murders, which is what really baffles me. You're on death row. Mm-hmm. How can you deny you have pictures of all these guys? You have their belongings. You have bags and that, that was belong all to them.
0: That's what he said.
1: Right. How did you end up with all their crap? How I mean, that's not a coincidence that you can't even say, oh, I bought it at a flea market. It just what about happened about the to the long-term guy, guy in your
0: car with you when you got pulled over. Mhm. Yeah. Circumstantial.
1: Anyway, that is the Scorecard Killer, one of the most notorious serial killers that has existed. He's still alive, waiting on death row.
0: So crazy. I can't believe the ones that floor me are the ones where people are living like this. seemingly normal life. And this is going on in the background. It just blows my mind.
1: Right. He had these relationships and some people think that his boyfriend, um, especially the second one had something to do with helping him. Um, that, you know, maybe he had to have known. I mean, how do you not know? But at the same time we've covered cases like the BTK killer. I I
0: was just going to say episode 71 BTK. Mm -hmm. If you haven't heard that one, go listen to it because it's that one still to this day is like just wild to me.
1: Yeah, and he's still alive too, waiting. So crazy. Just and waiting in line. He was just a church out. guy.
0: He was yeah. this church guy. That, Boy Scout leader. Yeah, and he was out about there killing everybody and just wanting the attention. It's yeah. so nuts.
1: You know what really baffles me is how how people end up to be serial killers. The reason that I went so in depth in his background is because he had a seemingly normal upbringing. So it's like nature versus nurture. What makes a serial killer? What causes somebody to do this kind of stuff? I mean, he was so smart and a lot of times they say serial killers are above average intelligence. Um, so I just, I don't know. I don't know if it's like a gene or what, but it just goes to show, and we've covered this in many cases, some ki- some serial killers come from horrible families, horrible upbringings, and we tend to use that as sort of an excuse not an excuse but like as a reason for maybe why they act the way they do but in a situation like this where he had a doting mother yeah he had an absent father but that's not atypical that's not that atypical
0: and the guy was working it's not like he was in jail
1: yeah i mean that does not a serial killer make like he had an absent dad okay but other than that i mean he had made great grades he was very involved in politics like what happened? Where where did it go wrong? It's like
0: somebody, they get this weird thrill out of it that's worth doing it again. I don't know. I don't, know, I don't know how to describe it. It's freaking weird.
1: Yeah. I mean, I guess that it's a whole level of psychiatry and sociopathic tendencies and disorders that I just, I don't have enough education to understand. So yeah. I can admit that though. I'm still going to judge and think it's crazy and talk about it on our show. So. It's bonkers. Yeah. I don't
0: think it's crazy. You're a weirdo.
1: For sure. All right. Well, if you have an uh, episode or a case that you'd like us to cover on our show, go to momandmystery.com. There is a request form on there. Um, that is how this episode got requested. I love your requests because it's really hard to just come up with these out of the blue. So I prefer having requests. Anyway, if you have one in mind you want us to cover, please go there and fill out that form. Until next week.
0: Happy Mother's Day. your super mom.
1: Oh, thanks, Happy Dave. Mother's Day to all the
0: moms. <laughs>
1: Thank you. Mom. Mystery.